Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Good morning. Um, Today I'll be reading from the book of Genesis, chapter 42, verses 1 through 17 and 21 through 24. Um, When I finish, if you guys, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and if you guys could say, thanks be to God. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he, was, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, No, my lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are all honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them, No, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place until your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you. Or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. Verse 21. Then they said to one another, In truth we are guilty concerning our brother, and that we saw distress of his soul when he begged us, and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. It's really good to see you. Uh, My name is Luke. I'm uh, one of the elders here. Um, So, uh, and now I'm going to preach. So let's see how it goes. Um, (laughs) But um, so we're in Genesis 42. And I I gave a title to the sermon so we do that, you know, just to help us. And I called it Providence in the Empty Bread Basket. I thought that was kind of catchy. 
And then I wanted to, you know, just to peel back the curtain here for you in like creating a sermon. So I asked Lucy, hey, what do you think about this, this sermon title? And all of my, my pride, my self-confidence came crashing down when I heard laughing. <laughs> Lucy found it pretty funny. And um, then, I, you know, I find it funny. So I kept it. So. Um, but I also kept it because I think it communicates God is providentially bringing Joseph and his brothers together. Because of the famine in the land, they were able to see Joseph, to be there. And Joseph is able to recognize his brothers. Not for a family reunion, but for healing that only comes through transformation. So we're going to see that through Joseph and his brothers, how God can use our positive guilt and our negative guilt to transform our lives too. And that our Father is providentially working out an eternal weight of glory in each of our lives for his glory and our good. Let me just pray, and then we'll get started. Dear Father, I ask for your help this morning. I ask for your grace, that you would give me strength, that you would calm my nerves, that you would help me to communicate your word, Lord. But most importantly, Father, I know that you are sovereign, that you are in control, and that you're speaking to people this morning through your word. So I pray that we can all see you as wonderful and as worthy of our worship and our love. So in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray, amen. So just to remind you a little bit of the context, what's going on here. There's a famine in the land, right? And so Joseph has been elevated from the pit to the palace. He has been given um, almost as a, he's become a governor of the land. He's only second to, to Pharaoh in Egypt. And he interpreted Pharaoh's dreams that there would be seven years of plentiful harvest and then seven years of really bad famine. So he has been preparing all the, this time, all those seven years. During that time, his wife, his wife Asenath, uh, bore him two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. He's also, um, now he's 37 years old. So it's been 20 years since he has been sold into slavery, into Egypt. So a lot of time has passed. But the famine is not just in Egypt, it's also in Canaan. And who might need grain but Jacob and his family? So Jacob sends off his, tens, his ten sons to Egypt, basically saying, get off your butts, what are you guys doing? You're just staring at each other. Go and get us food, do something. But he keeps his 11th son, Benjamin, with him because he fears losing him as he lost Joseph. So as the brothers arrive in Egypt, they have, they have no idea who they will be meeting. In verses uh, 6 through 17, we see that um, the question of, or uh, that God, or that, sorry, that Joseph accuses them as spies. But we see that God is working here and that he's testing the brothers. From what may, may seem to be a chance or random that Joseph would be, would be the one to meet his brothers as a long shot. So it, it, does not, it, it seems random that maybe he would have had um, people below him that would have met his, son, his brothers. Surely Joseph didn't personally meet every single person in all of Egypt. He must have had others who worked beneath him. 
But by God's providence, he is the one to interview these men, his brothers. In appearance, this may seem like fortune, but no, this is directed by the hand of God. He's brought them together. So just to remind you what providence means, God's providence, it means that God, the good creator of all things, he holds all things together in his wisdom and power. He directs, disposes, and governs all creatures and all things. From the greatest of peoples to the least, from the rich to the poor, to the healthy, to the this weak, the sick. And he directs it all by his most his wisdom and his power. The scripture tells us in Ephesians 1.11 concerning our, our salvation that in him, in God, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Or if you like a, a more simple a description like I do sometimes. In Psalm 135, verse 6, it says, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. So God, in all his wisdom and power, has directed Joseph through his hard life in prison, through his being sold into slavery, for the purpose of rescuing his brothers and his family from famine. But God is also working in the brothers' lives, he's also bringing them to a repentance, to a change, a transformation. So how does Joseph, when he greets his brothers, how does he, how does he act? Well, he acts roughly, we see in the, the scripture, that he, he treats them as strangers, as foreigners. But then he remembers in verse 9, it almost seems random, that he, as if he almost forgot but it says in verse 9, And Joseph remembered the dreams he had dreamed of them. He'd remembered, the, in one dream particular, that um, his bundle of wheat stood upright and that all the other brothers' bundles of wheat bowed down to him. And now here they are, bowing before him. So he remembers that dream. At this moment is when he remembers the dream as a young man. But he accuses them and says, You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. Of course, they deny this, but Joseph accuse, uh, continues to accuse them. You, and then he says that to prove your innocence, you must bring back your youngest brother, Benjamin. Later, he will demand that they all go home and leave Simeon with him. When I first read this, I, I wondered, why is Joseph testing his brothers? There, you know, two options, two ways he could have responded was, hey guys, it's me, you know, taking off the Egyptian hat and be like, hey, it's me. You know, the one with the, the snake. I don't know if you've ever seen it before. Uh, but he didn't respond like that. He could have thrown them all in prison and say, hey, it's me. Now I have the power to have my revenge upon you, have them executed. But he doesn't respond like that. Instead, um, he responds differently. It seems that the Lord is working in him. Someone much wiser than me and a little bit older than me, uh, they said that this is not mainly Joseph testing uh, his brothers, 
but it's primarily God testing the brothers. And so God, throughout the next few chapters, is testing the, the brothers of Joseph to bring them to a point of repentance, using a guilt, using the circumstance that they're in, this hard circumstance. And we'll see later more about that. Now, while Joseph was testing them, God was giving him the wisdom. God had a plan to see these brothers transformed, especially Judah, who we'll see in the next chapters, uh, changes the most, trans is transformed the most. But how do the, res the brothers respond to this? Then they said to one another, In truth we are guilty, this is verse 21, concerning our brother, and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why his dis this distress has come upon us. The guilt of what they had done hits them. Whether they had felt any guilt beforehand or even thought about what they had done before, the scripture does not tell us. But this situation, this testing brought to life the reality of their sin. This was not fate or karma that had finally come upon them. It was God's hand, God's gracious hand, leading them. So as they return home, not knowing how they will explain what happened, one of them finds in his bag the money that he had bought the grain with. We wonder why would Joseph put all of their money back into their grain? You know, this is part of his testing. Maybe it was to see, you know, they sold me for 20 pieces of silver. Will they sell their brother, Simeon, who they've left behind for all of that money, just leave him to rot in prison? Was he testing them to see, have they changed? Are they different? <clears throat> so we see the reaction, though, in verse 28. One of them says, my money has been put back here. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this, their hearts failed them. And they turned trembling to one another, saying, what is this that God has done to us? They realized two things at this moment. One, that first they had been accused of spies, and now if they do return, they're going to be accused as thieves. Surely they will find punishment when they return. But the second thing they realize is that somehow God is involved in this. Now, they could just be blaming God for this or just a random acknowledgement of God, but it seems that it's a more acknowledgement that God has control over this and that something is going on here that they are realizing more of now. So then as the brothers return home, the brothers tell their father what happened. They recount all of what this ruler, this governor told them, that he, they took, that he took their brother and that, they want, that he wants Benjamin to come back with them. But they also hadn't, they, after they had explained all that, they, they left out the part about the, the money in the sack, just to, well, keep that from our dad, you know. It's already pretty bad here. We don't need to tell him more. But they also didn't realize that every sack of their grain had the money too. And soon everyone would know. As they emptied their sacks, out came their money. Jacob and all his sons were struck with fear. And Jacob says in verse 36, 
You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin? All this has come against me. Jacob's fear and sorrow is at a boiling point. He has lost Joseph. It seems now that he has lost Simeon. But he, does, he will not give up Benjamin now. So Reuben speaks up, and he says, why don't you take my two sons? You, you can kill them, and I, I will, then I will bring, as a pledge, then I will bring back Benjamin safely, which really isn't a helpful uh, you know, idea, but he, he gives it. You know? <laughs> um, Joke, Jacob, though, is resolute, and he cannot give up his son. He says in verse 38, he is the only one left of his uh, wife Rachel's children. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs to Sheol. So chapter 42 ends with fear, with sorrow. Old wounds are brought back up. Jacob remembers and fears losing his youngest son, Benjamin. The brothers are struck with fear, of the fear of God, of what's going on. Now we have to remember, we don't know, or we know the full story. These brothers truly believe that this man will kill their brother, their Simeon, and that they will be punished severely if they try to go back. But uh, God, through Joseph, was testing them. What they didn't realize is what we see and that this would work out for their good. Next week, we'll see one of the brothers stand out amongst the brothers and pledge not someone else's life, but his own life. Judah, he will pledge his own life for Benjamin, for Benjamin's safety. But what should we walk away with today? What should we learn from this passage? I mentioned earlier that God can use our positive and negative guilt for our transformation. But let me explain what I mean by positive and negative guilt. Um, positive guilt is God's grace in bringing us to repentance. Positive guilt can be described as God's grace in bringing us from our sins to repentance. <clears throat> so guilt refers to the sense of having done something wrong. We all have experienced this. We all know, I think we all know what I'm talking about. It happens when our conscience tells us that we've committed some offense. We, th we see this happening in the lives of the ten brothers, if we look back. By their own admission, they were guilty concerning Joseph. They said, we're guilty, aren't of, even when our brother was crying at it in distress. But we did not care for him. We did not have compassion on him. Now, they don't come to this conclusion on their own, this realization. They, they do in one sense, but God directs them to see their guilt. He points out what they have, uh, what they have done by circumstances, circumstances they could not control. He reveals it to them. When our guilt comes over us, <clears throat> it almost feels oppressive or as if it's a heavy weight that's been laid upon us. Now, why would I say that this is a positive thing? 
It seems negative, doesn't it? Have I reversed these things, the, the positive and negative? Well, I say that it's a positive thing because it, it's God's grace to us. Because it leads us to repentance and to God. Repentance is our turning from sin. It's changing our minds from sin to follow God, to submit to God, to what he says. And there is life and joy in that, that we re- after we realize when we come to the Lord. And we feel, when we feel guilt for, after we repent, we, we excuse me, um, now the, the crux of positive guilt, the only way it will become positive is if our sorrow over the sin is in the right place. Everyone feels guilt from not helping the old lady cross the road to the guy who steals the old lady's purse. Everyone will feel guilt about something like that at some point. The question is, where our guilt or grief is coming from? What does it lead us to? Listen to uh, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 10. Um, uh, I'm sorry, my notes... Or a little confusing there. <laughs> um, so, uh, for godly grief produces, I think I have this slide, yes. Uh, sorry. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness, this he's talking about these believers in Corinth who turn from their sin. See what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. But also what eagerness to clear yourselves. What indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So even Paul is saying here that there is a positive side to grief, to sorrow. He's telling us the difference, though, between a godly grief over our sin and a worldly grief or a, a natural, um, natural way of dealing with guilt. With guilt. Worldly grief is only sorrow because of the consequences of our sin. Whereas godly grief is sorrowful sorrowful because we have sinned against our God, the one who created us. We've turned away from him. Godly grief consists of an inner breaking of our hearts. In Psalm 51, 17 David said, the sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. That whole chapter in Psalm 51 can show us an example of what godly grief looks like, godly repentance. It's a a breaking of our inner heart, a turning from our sin. The good news, though, about repentance, a man, uh, a writer, Joe Rigney, he said that it's never wrong to be the prodigal son coming home. You all know the story of the prodigal son that Jesus told. It's never wrong to be the prodigal son returning home. The Father will always accept us when we have a broken heart over our sin, when we turn from our sins. So, now, but how can we develop this broken heart? How can we producing us godly grief. Well, I, I, for me, it is always a prayer. God, give me godly grief for my sin. Give me godly repentance. 
because my heart and my natural self will always go towards the consequences of what I feel of, what I feel of my sin. But what we need is true godly repentance, true godly guilt. Now, the best way to see our hearts broken over our sin is by the cross of Jesus Christ. And to look at his willingness to take on our sin on the cross, to suffer physically, yes, but then to take on himself, to take the cup of God's wrath. That's why we do communion every week, because we want you to be able to turn, to, to look inwardly, but then to look upwardly to Christ, to see him on the cross, to see what he's done for you. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 and 22, I think I have this one too. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. We can see there that our guilt, that our evil conscience can be washed clean. Our guilt can be taken away, can be forgiven of through Jesus Christ. So the next time guilt arises in your heart, brother or sister in Christ, the next time you, over your sin, that guilt arises in your heart, ask God for his grace in repenting. Think about the gospel and talk with other Christians to hear biblical truth that they can point you to Jesus. But now uh, let's look at what I mean by negative guilt. So when I, na- when I say negative guilt, I really mean uh, shame, negative shame, uh, which is a better way to describe it. So uh, negative shame, or uh, it, what we, we want to see here is that God's grace is making us new creations. By God's grace, we are being made new creations. So what I want to get at here is that not all guilt is positive. There are things in our lives that we feel guilty for, shame for, that we do not need to carry in our life after what Jesus Christ has done for us. So if guilt is a, is a sense of having done something wrong, and that, is, that being true of us, that thing that we did, Whereas shame is a feeling brought on by something done wrong to us by another person, by another circumstance. Shame is also uh, feelings of failure, disgrace, embarrassment, ridicule, rejection, and much more. We can see an example of shame, or what could have been shame, in Joseph's life. Joseph had the ultimate wrong done to him by his own brothers. He was sold into slavery. They received monetary money for it, but he was sold into slavery. Then he was thrown into a prison because he was falsely accused for something he had not done. But what is the difference about Joseph? is that those wrongs done to him did not define his life. He was not defined by that shame, that guilt that he had 
that had happened to him. By God's grace, he does not allow the shame of his brother selling him into slavery to produce bitterness and hatred in his heart. And he had every opportunity to, to show his, any kind of hatred he had for his brothers, but he has none. Instead of being weighed down by shame, he is uplifted into success and blessing of other people. He serves others, and he is lifted up by God. And this is all God working in him, producing in him this, this work. So we can learn from Joseph here. Brother or sister, I want, I want to speak to some of you. Do you carry shame still from your past? Do you hold on to things that have happened to you, that have been done to you by someone else? Do you hold on to them tightly? Have you made them a part of your identity? That any conversation that you're in, it almost always comes up. You bring up that what that person had done to me at that time. Do you, does this shame, do you carry it with you? Is it hard to fully trust a pastor because one failed you in the past? Is it hard to accept the truth of God as Father because of your difficult or even non-existent relationship with your Father? Is it hard to open up to other Christians because of past rejection, ridicule, or embarrassment? When I call this negative shame, I mean negative shame. That you do not need to carry this with you through your life. Carry around this heavy bag of pain that keeps you from so much of God's good blessings for you and through his blessings for you to bless others. Look with me to 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, he or she. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In Christ, by your faith, through his grace, you are a new creation. Your old has passed away. Your old shame, your new self, is a new creation. Even new shame, I would say, new shame that comes out, that sprouts up, will not tarnish what God has created as new. Listen to a writer, uh, Anthony Hokima. I might have mispronounced his name, but oh well. It's... um, I think I have this. I do. Uh, To those who are in Christ, Paul says... You are new creatures now. Not totally new, to be sure, but genuinely new. And we who are believers should see ourselves in this way. No longer as depraved and helpless slaves of sin, but as as those who have been created anew in Christ Jesus. We've been created new. We're new creations. Yes, we struggle in this life. Yes, the pain of your shame will still linger. But you are genuinely new in Jesus Christ. Hokima continues, 
in his thought, and he says this. The Christian life involves not just believing something about Christ, that being the gospel, what he has done, but also believing something about ourselves. This gets at our self-image, our self-esteem, how we view ourselves. We all need to learn this. I'm not telling you to be more self-confident, that you're amazing, be you, I'm preaching that we need to have a self-image that is based on the Word of God. We need to believe that we are new creations in Christ Jesus, and that changes everything. We are new creations. I keep saying it, but you're new. In Christ Jesus, you are new. So as we conclude today, I want to say that guilt and shame are only temporary, and that one day when we are face-to-face with God, it will all be taken away completely. And we, we will be with joy and peace with our Savior. And I also want to say that if you are in Christ, you and I are ministers of reconciliation. Our Father has not just forgiven us of our sins and made us new creations for ourselves. God wants others to have their guilty consciences cleansed, forgiven of, taken away. He wants others to be made a new creation and to think right thoughts of themselves. Listen again to Paul as he continues in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God, who was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. God is making an appeal to the world, to your neighbors, to your friends, to your family, through you. And it's appeal, it's a ministry of reconciliation. Where there is hostility, alienation from God, where, uh, because of guilt, whether of positive guilt or negative shame, bring the peace of Christ. Bring the salvation of Christ. Share Christ. Bring the redeeming love of Christ. Because Jesus Christ was our minister of reconciliation. He has m- reconciled us. And so now we can go out and minister to others, and serve others, care for them. Let me pray. Dear Father, I ask that your word, I know your word will be effective, Father. I pray that you encourage, you build up your church, Father. Lord, I, only you can do it. By your grace and your power, I pray that you, you, you bring us to a healthy guilt that seeks the forgiveness of God and, a, and put away negative shame so that we can have right thoughts of ourselves, that we can see ourselves as new creation and care for others. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.